I will extol you, my God and King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, again, just thank you for the chance to gather together as a church at the beginning of the week. Lord, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I pray you to wake us up to it today. Lord, I pray you would remove every distraction, that we would see you. Thank you for this psalm. Help it encourage our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Mount Everest is 29,029 feet up in the air. It's the highest point on earth. And many people have tried to scale it. Many people have died trying to overcome it. And um, that was the whole point of Mount Everest this week for VBS. We, we start out down, but life is uh, often a mountain, and God is greater than the mountains. But I would just say to us, This morning, who didn't come to VBS, as you went through your week, uh, many of you probably feel often like life is just like climbing up a Mount Everest. It is just unbelievably hard sometimes. It's just this scale that just keeps, keeps going on. Even in the good times, we see everything around us. And sometimes we have these Everest climbs that we have to make. And Psalm 145 helps us with this. In the midst of the turmoil and uncertainty in the world, Praising God as sovereign is the solution to overcoming the Everests of our life. Psalm 145 calls us to patience and to not panic. When you are climbing Mount Everest, which I would never do, I have no desire whatsoever to climb. Uh, I don't like to be cold, so I would never, never do it. But when you are climbing up Mount Everest, it takes unbelievable amounts of planning, unbelievable amounts of skill. You have to all have the guides to get you up there. And as you're going up the steep cliffs, 
Uh, you have to have shoes with great big spikes on them, unbelievable spikes in them that can go into the ice. And Psalm 145 is that for us. If, you, if you're struggling or if you're just going through life, Psalm 145 was written for us so that if you feel like you're free-falling in any time of your life through the, the difficulties of climbing up the mountains of life, it is just, it's like a spike for us to just to cling on to, to kick it in and to hold on to what God has for us. Psalm 145 is the last of David's psalms. It's the last psalm that King David wrote. It's an acrostic psalm. It's one of the, it's the last of the alphabet Psalms. Psalms 9, Psalms 10, Psalm 25, Psalm 34, Psalm 37, Psalms 111, Psalm 112, and Psalm 119. All of them are acrostic psalms. When it was written in Hebrew, you could take the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and that starts every one of the verses that takes place in these psalms. And Psalms 145 is the last of David's acrostic psalms. It's the last psalm that David wrote. It's the last psalm of his record. And when you put together a psalm like this, that takes a lot of thinking, takes a lot of time, takes a lot of skill. You have to be highly skilled to say, what do I want to say? And if you're writing down the last psalm, it, this psalm is a, it's a culmination of everything that David wanted to say to us about God. This is his last time that he was going to write and say, this is what is true about God. And this is what you need to know. But here's the problem with Psalm 145, if we're not careful. The problem, the problem with Psalm 145, if we're not careful, is that it can come across to us very boring. We, we, we can read it because there's no real drama in Psalm 145. We, we can read what it says at the beginning, and it'll be like, I've been in church for a long time. I've heard these things about God before. And it doesn't stir us the way it's supposed to. So I, I think the struggle of the passage is that it is, the struggle of the passage for, Psalm, for us from Psalm 145 is to take it to heart. To take into our hearts and into our minds, and in an age of just rapid culture change and constant information, if we're not careful, we're going to miss the reality of Psalm 145. It, it is a psalm that is supposed to give us solid footing in the difficulties of our life. It tells us much about God. The title of this psalm is praise. It's the only title, only psalm with the title praise in it. But as you read this, it's very easy for us to let our brains just click off because there's no tension. There's no struggle. It's just positive things about God. And the problem with that is we hear so much information going on all the time around us that it seems like God isn't in control, that God isn't active in our lives. And we just don't believe what Psalm 145 says. But Psalm 145 says... I'm just going to pull three things out of it. It says that God is preeminent, that God is the provider, and that God is persevering for us. Psalm 145 says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. When David wrote this, he was the king of Israel. He was the man in charge. And David says, I will extol you, my God, my king, and I will exalt your name. 
And to exalt someone's name was to describe their nature and their character. And David, when he sat down to write this and said, what do I want my people to know? What do I want the God's people to know? As I think through this and write it in a way that's creative so they can memorize it through the alphabet. What is it that I want them to know? And what I want them to know is that God is king and I'm not. I'm just a man. God is king. Not only is he king now, he's king in the next generation, and he's king in the next generation. God will be king forever. God is preeminent above all things. There is nobody like our God. And David says in verse 3, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. If you have a pen, and if you're using a pew Bible, I would tell you, circle or underline the word great and greatly and to be praised. So that if you ever flip through the Psalms again, you will see that and it will stand out to you that great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. God is absolutely great. And that has not the effect on us that it should. Many of us believe God. But sometimes our view of God when we're living through life is like we, when you go fishing, you take a great fish out of the water, and you put the fish on the ground, and it just starts flopping all over the place. It's still a fish. You still believe it's a fish. But that fish is not functioning freely the way you, it, it should because it's out of the water. And I think sometimes our view of God is that way. Even as believers. We believe God's God. We believe He's got some power. But he, we feel like, and look at it and talk to him like he's a fish out of water. And he's not able to do the things that he's supposed to be doing. And we get frustrated with that. That's not how God is at all. David said, God is great and greatly to be praised. A.W. Tozer said this, The man or woman who comes to a right belief about God is relieved of 10,000 temporal problems. When you come to a right belief about God, that God is great. He's great. He's not shocked or stunned by anything that takes place in your life or in our world. As a matter of fact, he controls all of it. David's talking about the greatness of God in his creation through this passage. Where he's seeing all the things in the nation of Israel. He's seeing all the things that God created. And he's saying God is unbelievably great. In that, he made the mountains, he made the oceans, he made the water. He's all over the top of it. He's unbelievably great and he's greatly to be praised. And if that's not our view of God, here's what's going to happen. If you don't have a view of God that is absolutely that God is great, you are going to be very weak in your life, you're going to be filled with worry. And you're going to spend times of unbelievable amount of waste. That's just going to be your life. You're going to be unbelievably weak spiritually when temptation comes. If God's not big in your life, you're going to be just absolutely weak. And you're not going to see where it matters if you sin or not. And you're going to spend all your time worrying because you're going to see all these mountains of things that life happens to us in a broken world. And you're just going to be overcome with worry because your God's very small. And people are very big to you. And you're just going to waste tons of time. And so David says, what I want our people to know, what the people of God need to know and hear it often, is that God is great and greatly to be praised. And then David says, and God's greatness 
is unsearchable. When our view of God is seeing him the way he really is, we're not making anything up here. We're just trying to see God the way he really is. When we see him the way he really is, that's going to eliminate in our lives a lot of whining and a lot of whimpering. But what it will do for us, it will create in us an unbelievable wonder. And as David says later, it will create in us just this witness. That I'm going to meditate on these things. He says in verse 5, I will meditate on these things. In verse 6, I shall speak of these things. In verse 7, he's going to declare them abundantly. He's going to pour forth those things. It's, It's just going to change everything for us when we keep seeing how great God is. Because everything in our life, everything in the world is trying to convince us that God is not great. That God is not in control. But God, David says, God is great, and God's greatness is unsearchable. Which means we don't always understand what he's doing in our lives. We're not always going to be able to see what's going on and how he is guiding things and how he is planning things. Which is why in that Great hymn, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. There is this line, deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill. He treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. If we don't see God as great, you're going to hate that line. You're going to hate it when you see those things. You're going to hate that. You're going to be frustrated all the time. If your God is not great, and if we don't see God as great as he is, God is absolutely great, and his greatness is unsearchable. Yesterday I was watching the Discovery Channel, which I do not watch that much, uh, but it was about the icebergs, and they were just trying to figure out how icebergs work. And I'm watching it, and... All I can think of the whole time I'm watching this is there are tons of people I mean, there's crews all over the place in the Alaska who are flying on top of icebergs. And then they're going by ships and type of icebergs. And they're setting up all kinds of data. And all these crews of scientists everywhere. And they're trying to figure out how icebergs move. That's, that's their whole goal in life is to try to figure out how icebergs move. And it just takes tons and tons of people and unbelievable amounts of money and unbelievable amounts of brain power where God says, icebergs are like ice cubes. You, you, you spend all this time trying to figure out how icebergs move, and I am so big, I am so great, that they are just like little ice cubes to me. But it takes unbelievable amount of human endeavor to try to figure out how just little piles of ice that God has piled up, it means nothing to him, really, as far as his power. Just like little ice cubes to do that. God's greatness is unsearchable. And it's good for us to try to figure out how icebergs move. Because it displays the majesty of God. And we should be blown away by that as Christians. That the God who created the universe, the God who created icebergs, it takes tons and hundreds and hundreds of humans to try to figure out how they move. And they're just nothing. They're little ice cubes as far as God's concern. God is great, and God's greatness is unsearchable, and God's preeminence is to be passed on. I love Vacation Bible School. It is by far my favorite week at our church. 
I love the craziness of it. I love the decorations. I love the fact that we let kids wear crazy hats. I love all the fun. I love the songs. I love everything about it. But it has to be much more than that for us as a church. It has to be much more than that for us as parents. What it has to be for us is that we're saying... Children, we want to do what it says in this psalm. One generation shall commend your works to another generation and pass it on. We want to see little boys and girls come to our church and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the greatest way that God displayed his greatness to us was by sending his own son on the cross for our sins. And that he displayed his greatness by his power. And his might and in the life that he lived. And it's through the cross that we are changed and our hearts are changed. So I will do any crazy thing necessary to show that to kids. So that they will see that God is great and God is worthy to be praised. But it can't stop there. Because it can't stop there for us as parents and as us for individuals. Because those little boys and girls that were here this week, they grow up to be adults. And they grow up to be teenagers. And they grow up to find out that the life that they're living is not a vacation Bible school. It's not all balloons and fun games and great teachers. That there's great difficulties that happen in life. That we live in a broken world and that things can get very hard. And what we need, in a way, the reason I love Vacation Bible School and I hope that you love Vacation Bible School, and the reason that we do it is because all the hours of effort that we put into this week would be that so one of them one day would see Jesus for who he is or would be encouraged because they know who Jesus is, and that they would grow up to go into a very, very dark world and say, Jesus loves you. God is great. God is greater than your problems. God is greater than what you're dealing with. God understands what you're dealing with. God understands pain. God understands suffering. What I'd love to see is some of the little boys and the girls that we have in our VBS grow up and say, that message that I heard at VBS that was so much fun, I'm going to take to a foreign country and share it with other boys and girls whose lives are not that fun. And other adults whose lives are not that fun. And so parents, God has to be great in our lives. And God has to be seen as his greatness is unsearchable. And God has to be preeminent so that we will allow our kids to pass it on. Because if not, if God's not great in your life, you're going to want to cling on to your kids. You're going to want to say, no, just have fun at vacation Bible school at your church. Just have fun where it's nice and easy and convenient. But don't get too serious about this great God. Because if you get too serious about this great God, it's going to cost me something. You might, you might leave me. You not, might not be across the street with me when I'm old. You might not be there for me. Jim Elliott, whose wife Elizabeth Elliott just passed away last week. When he went... 50-some years ago, as a college student at Wheaton, and he wanted to go to, the, to South America, his parents, who raised him in a Christian family, raised him and his brothers 
They weren't too happy about it. They were a little concerned what was going to happen to their son. And Jim Elliott, at 22 years old, wrote this to his parents. And he says, I do not wonder that you are saddened at the word of my going to South America, he replied on August 8th. This is nothing else than what the Lord Jesus warned us of when he told the disciples that they must become so infatuated with the kingdom and following him that all other allegiances must become as though they were not. And he never excluded the family tie. In fact, those loves that we regard as closest, he told us must become as hate in comparison with our desire to uphold his cause. Grieve not, then, if your sons seem to desert you. But rejoice, rather, seeing the will of God done gladly. Remember how the psalmist described children. He said that they were as an heritage from the Lord, and that every man should be happy who had his quiver full of them. And what is a quiver full of but arrows? And what are arrows for but to shoot? So with the strong arms of prayer, draw the bowstring back and let the arrows fly. All of them, straight at the enemy's hosts. 22-year-old Jim Elliott, whose parents took him to vacation Bible school, he rose up and he had such a great view of God that he had to say, Mom and Dad, let me go. And his parents said, I don't want to let you go. But they let him go, and he died for the cause of Christ. And his brother spent 50 years in Brazil, and he's still down there today. They lost both of their sons for the cause of Christ because their God was big, and God was preeminent. The whole reason we do Vacation Bible School Parents, is to show that God is great, and God's greatness is unsearchable, and God is preeminent, and we want children to pass it on. So let them go, if God calls them. Pray that they would go, and let God call them. God is absolutely preeminent, David says. And then God, David goes on to say that God is a provider. He says, the Lord is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Verse 13 says, The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. God is an absolute promise keeper. David said, God is absolutely Faithful. He will always be faithful. He helps the hurting in verse 14. He helps the hungry in verses 15 and 16. He helps those hunger after God in prayer in verses 18 and 19. And he helps those who are his in verse 20. God has the power to provide for you. God has the power to comfort you. God has the power to heal you. God has the power to forgive you. And God has the power to love you forever. Because he is an absolute great God. And as we're older, and the Everest of our lives, for some of us, come, and they come in waves sometimes. What God would say to us, this great, preeminent, all-powerful God, he would say, hold on. And he says it to us over and over again. He says, be still and know that I am God. Be steadfast, unmovable. Don't be afraid. Don't be weary. God's saying, listen, I've got this. I created everything. I've gone through all of this. 
And sure, life isn't like a vacation Bible school with a bunch of balloons. It is an Everest sometimes, but I am with you. I'm faithful. I will be there for you. That's the promise of Psalm 145. God is the absolute provider for all that we need. And God is always persevering for us. He perseveres. It says in verse 17, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him, and he also hears their cry, and he saves them. And God is righteous. When David was writing that God was righteous here, it wasn't that God is just morally right, which he is. And he's absolutely morally righteous. But what he's saying is that God is always right. God is always upright, and he's always just in responding to those who need him. He's always that way. So when you're going through difficulties of the Everest of your life, God is righteous, which means he's responding to you in the most upright and just way possible. And there is nobody else greater to lean on than to God. And all the times of our lives are in his hand, and he's working all those things out according to his will. It says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. God is so great, so preeminent, such a provider. He is not worried about anything. He's not anxious about anything. He's not concerned about anything that's going to happen in your life this week. He knows exactly how it's going to take place, where it's going to take place, when it's going to take place. And what he says to you is he says, trust my sovereign hand because I am working through this in an unbelievably good plan for your life. There was a true story of a man named Luke Short in the 17th century. He was a teenager, young, young teenager, sitting in church one day, he heard a message from Second Corinthians from his pastor, John Flavel. He left church that day, had no impact on him whatsoever. He, he became, it was just like a, just a normal, boring church service for him. He left at about 12, 13, 14 years old, went home, spent the rest of his life in just living however he wanted to. Living his life completely against God, just doing his own thing. He's in his late 90s, out in his field, thinking about life. He's almost 100 years old. He's walking around in this field. And Luke started thinking, why was my life so blessed? How come I lived so long? And all of a sudden, 85 years after he heard his pastor preach, every point from his pastor's message came right back into his head. And he realized that he was a sinner, that he needed a Jesus. And he confessed in the middle of his field and trusted Christ as a Savior. He moved, he lived to be 116 years of age. And everybody that knew him said his life was radically changed. God's sovereignly in control. When you spend a week of your life pouring it into six, seven, eight-year-olds thinking, is this going to mean anything to them? Are they going to mean anything? If you think it has anything to do with you, it won't. 
But if you do it and say, God's sovereignly in control, God is great, he can take what I said in 2015 and in 2073, wake up a 90-year-old to hear the gospel, he'll do it. God is the provider. He's absolutely preserving. He's constantly preserving his word. But it says this, the Lord is righteous to all who call on him, and to all who call on him in truth. The Bible says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, God is great. He's unbelievably merciful. But, and he responds in a special way to those who call on him, to those who fear him, and to those who love him. During this vacation Bible school, we always have a funny person. And this year, Trinity Shaw was our skip person. And she was Trek. She was supposed to be this um, world-famous climber and a hiker. And so uh, we'd have the skit come out, and she was, one day, she, the crew that she was going to be going with, uh, supposedly, she made them all sick. And so she was trying to figure out how to get their crew ready to hike up Mount Everest. And so she had food for them. And then that wasn't going to work, I told them. And then she said, well, I'll just play my harmonica. That was part of the skit. So she got her harmonica out, and she played it really bad, which was the whole point. And all the kids thought it was great. And while I was doing the, doing the skit, I said, uh, I said, Trek, that was her name during the skit. I said, Trek, that's painful. And the kids all laughed, you know, and we put that away. We finished the skit. We started a song. I'm standing over here with a song. This little boy comes up to me while we're singing the song, and he says, Pastor Paul? My sister plays a harmonica, and when she plays it, it's not painful. I said, that's great. God is preeminent. God is our provider. And God is persevering in our lives. He knows how life works. He designed it. He created the world. He knows how it's supposed to operate. He knows how to play the music of your life. So if you've been having majors or minor music being played, God knows how he's doing. And it's not painful in reality for God's people. Because God knows how to play the music. And what he says to us is, is see my greatness. See my preeminence. Meditate on it. Think about it. Talk about it. Don't become forgetful of it. Because at the end, what we're called to do is my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and forever. God just wants us to surrender. He wants us to let God play the music of our lives. Some of us want to play the music our own lives. We want to figure out how to do life our own way. And it's like climbing up Mount Everest. It's not working out so well. And God says, you don't have to do that. I sent Jesus to help you make that, so you don't have to do that. You're broken. Jesus fixed you. And if you're a follower of him, keep letting him fix you. Just surrender daily. Think about what he's done for you. See Jesus for who he is. See my greatness for what it is. I will get you through. I'll be your Sherpa. I'll be your guide up the Everest of life. He just calls us to surrender, and he calls us to praise him. Psalm 145 will be the biggest bore to you today unless you go home and read Psalm 45 again 
and read it again and read it again until it awakens into you this truth that this week God is great. God is sovereign over my life. God is in control. I'm going to surrender it to him. And it moves you in a way that's more than intellectual, more than just emotional. It moves you until it becomes the pattern of your life. And what pours forth is praise for the greatness of our God. Praise is loud. 